the cup and the leaf all to be one. Everyone knows there's a job to be done and with a team so fine. I'm proud they're mine. We'll be singing the song. Dunfermline Athletic Former Players Association podcast is sponsored by Starna Apparel. Affordable and stylish clothing born on the terraces. Listeners of this podcast can get 10% off their order by using code PODCAST at the checkout. Just head to www.starnaapparel.co.uk. Welcome to the Dunfermline Athletic Former Players Association podcast, Walking Down the Holbeath Road. Join us as we take a trip down memory lane with some of the most iconic players and managers to grace a pitch at East End Park. From reminiscing about their glory days to sharing insights on the game today, these legends will offer a unique viewpoint on the beautiful game. I'm your host, Mikey Mokkevich. Before we start this episode, the former Players Association would like to extend our warmest congratulations to James McPake and the entire team on winning the League One Championship. It was an outstanding achievement and a true testament to the hard work and determination of everyone involved. James's leadership and dedication has been instrumental in guiding the team to this success and we are truly proud of the way you have represented Dunfermline Athletic throughout the season. On this latest episode, we speak to the current kit man at the club, Mo Hutton, who is now in his 30th year working for the Pars. Joining the club under Dick and Bert, we hear about the highs and lows during his time in the game, what really goes on in a dressing room, and what does it take to be a kit man, and a lot more. So sit back, relax, and get ready to relive some unforgettable moments with us as we walk down the Holbeath Road with Mo Hutton. Right. So Mo, thanks for joining us on the latest episode of the podcast. How are you getting on? I'm doing alright, buddy. It's just a bad, busy time. This the pre-season, everything goes out the window. Then you, you just got to start like every season. You're preparing for the next one. You actually prepare for the next one at the end of the last one because you've got all the orders to put in for kit, towels, slips. Like you thank Brian for my towels as well. He put in, gave us a ninety towels this year. Right, Pars TV, nice. yeah, and the former players are always putting money in as well as you know. They're yeah. always, I'm always dipping into their pockets. So that's what the money is there for, <laughs> mate. Yeah. So talking about pre-season now, obviously it's different for a kit man. You don't go on holiday for three weeks like the players might do. Yeah. So what what is going on at the moment for you? Well, the the kit arrived last week, so a lot of it has to go to the engineering agencies to be logoed up for the SRJ. Then I get it back. Then I size it. Luckily enough, the the twelve. Hang on, how many players have we got? Eighteen, I think. We've got retained counting youth, young boys. Right. So I've managed to get their size before they left, and then I I go through this list, and then I've got all their sizes here and all the kit because I got samples last year. So it's a different ball game. It's not like Joma. You know what sizes were what. <laughs> 
so I've got other sizes here, so I'm just going round doing what I can at the moment till it all comes back for us uh, engineering. And then I've got Bobby and give me a wee hand to count all the strips because you've got to count everything as it arrives as well, in case there's a shortage. Of course, yeah. Because if you didn't get that at the start, then you've got a battle in your hands. So there's quite a few things to still to come. There's a second order replaced, which hasn't arrived yet. But I go on holiday on the 5th, 5th of June. So I'm trying to get as much done before I go. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, eight cent of my holidays a wee bit, but you, you kind of just do it for the cause, eh, and yeah. just get on with it. So that's just part and parcel of the job. Well, it always has been for me, anyway. Yeah, life is a kit, man, eh? Aye, well, you're doing it for the team. You're not doing it for any individuals. You just want... Th- when they come back on the... I think we're back on the 19th. Right. You just want everything to be right. And there's no any hiccups. You've got spare kit there for trialists. You want to make it as smooth as possible for the players, don't you? That's your, well, that's my job. Just make sure everything's transitioned. They'll probably have a wee go about the colour this year, but that's not my problem. <laughs> but uh, we'll look smart when we go down to training, and that's the main objective, and then we'll look, hopefully kick on yep. as we did this year. That's it. So speaking about the season just passed, you've you've been here a long time, as we'll, we'll speak about in many promotions. How, how does last season rank for you? in terms of how the team performed and the way we won that league? Oh, it was up there because the, the consistency was there. Even in the bad games, we got a bit of... We did a rub of the green in games, but I thought individually and collectively as a squad, that's probably the, one of the closest squads I've ever seen. There was no sort of bill of big times or anything. Everybody was in it together, and even the manager, Davey, Monty, Hartie, everybody was currently involved when a wee change over with physios but even everybody there has moved in they've, they've kind of slotted in with everybody and even you and this, the sports scientists so there's a bit of upheaval last pre-season but yeah. it all settled down again so it was good then uh, Sammy gives me a hand here and Ian in the laundry they're kind of steady eddies they keep things going as well right, So during a season what was a typical week for you as a kit man obviously you've mentioned Sammy and Ian and the great yeah. job they do yeah. And Marie, that, that helps aye, you. The food, what was a typical week for you? Uh, well, I'm always thinking about the next game, eh? or the next... Uh, so, even when you finish a game, you're actually thinking about the next game on the same, like the Saturday. The equipment hamper, just make sure it's tidy, everything's dry inside it. Because I take six hampers to the game, so everything's got its sort of place. Uh, even when you start washing, you're thinking about am I playing with the same kit next week which you've probably spoken to the kit man wherever we're playing. I always give the home team the, their uh, goalkeepers, for, a, for, for just for example, are quite funny creatures. They all want the same colour all the time. It's just a, just a, one of these things they've done. They, they, mm-hmm. they feel comfortable in that colour. So I try and get whoever, if it's Dennis or whoever, I try and get them that colour for every game if I can. Uh, and then it depends, obviously, on who you're playing and then you can change it. But... Most kit men are the same bottle. They they, they they want to facilitate for their own their own players, their own team. Edinburgh yeah. City last year we always had to play in the away strip because they were white. Their home strip's black, or their away strip's black, sorry. So there was always that just mm-hmm. the as soon as the the sort of washing goes on after a game, the first team hamper is if I'm playing with that next week, I can just top it back up. Yeah. If no, it's got to be emptied. This year we've got three strips, so I have to take all the different Under Armour shorts, socks, goalkeepers, changeover, 
the warm-up stuff, I always take a few extra warm-up tops in case somebody gets soaked. And then they're going to have to sit on the bench with that wet top on, so you try and keep, keep stuff dry for that as well. So yeah. there's quite a lot to get involved with it, but basically you just try to make sure you're starting to prepare as soon as the first that game finishes. Because yeah. you always come in, put the washing on, come back on the Sunday. I was, I, if I'm in, within an hour of travelling, I would I would come back here after a game and put the washing on. Any further than that, I kind of just come back the Sunday morning. Yeah, so it never stops really, does it? No, it's a seven-day-a-week job. I mean, that's, a lot of people think I'm off my head for doing it, but if you didn't do it that way, you're not doing it right. Yeah. And especially last year with us having white, you can't leave white. Uh, no, of course. I've seen people leaving white stuff and you can't get the marks out. It's bad enough to get in the, uh, the game, but mm-hmm. if you leave, it's worse. So. But that's just part and parcel of the game again. It's just these people, most kit men I know, they, they do the seven days, eh? Yeah. It's just part of the job. Right. What about a match day then for you? Like preparing on the Saturday morning up until kickoff. What you you come in, in here in the morning, don't you? And then what's kind of your preparation for uh, for when the players arrive? Well, what the the way it works this year is the the 18s play on a Friday, so they are a Friday night, a Friday afternoon. So they would bring their kit back. She would bring it back, leave it there. So that's to be washed and put at the road before we start. But I would prepare for the the Saturday game on the Thursday Friday. I pack bundles, uh, so everybody's got their own number on. Every player that comes in has their own warm-up top T-shirt, their shorts, and then their strips are all individually sized as well. And then I make bundles up with their warm-up top, their T-shirt, their shorts, their slips, if they want the cut-offs. Most of them wear cut-offs now. And then their ankle sock, and then just make that. So every, everybody's got a bundle. I just place the bundles out, and then it's a matter of just putting the strips and the shorts on top. Last year I pressed the shorts because they were nice, they were cotton. They were a nice feel about them, so they didn't look right if you didn't press them, eh? Yeah. So I really prepared Thursday, Friday, and then the Saturday's the easy part, really, for me, because mm-hmm. it's all done. And then after the game, once they come, because they've got individual needs, some of them have their own, some under armour if they want it, or, you know, like shorts, cycle shorts, some of them wear, some of them don't. So I try and put that in the bundle so they've not got to go raking about yeah. on the day. Keep it as simple for them, eh? They just come in, they've got their stuff. Yeah. So the boots are there. My, my grandson has been helping me too, Jack. He's been coming in to help me with games. He'd, he knows what the, the, the boots are as well and the shin pads. So everything's laid out for them coming in. And then just the manager has this wee crack with them and then mm-hmm. get on with the game. Let's get, get started, eh? So. And you mentioned something there about the players cutting socks now. Like, uh, obviously, this is a new thing in football. From when you started oh, thirty years uh, ago, football's uh, changed so much. Eh? What's your opinion on all these quirks now that the players I do got, with a kit? I keep asking players why they do it. They're all trying to tell me that the football socks slips. There's only one guy here. Where or, or last year was Aaron Cumbry. He was the only one that wore a full sock. Everybody else wore cutoffs. I think it was started by the likes of Ronaldo and people like that wearing these socks. They were probably getting fortunes for wearing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just went on for there. But now you can buy them all nicely tailored. Before they were just cutting them as, as, and it just looked like the ragamuffins. They had horrible jaggy edges at the bottom, but now they're actually yeah. tailored and come that way. I've not got a problem with it. Just it means ankle sock as well. But mm-hmm. we do have a grip sock, which is a better... Yeah, uh, a lot of them do like them. A lot of them don't like them because they kind of get them on their their boot, the foot. Once it's on the foot, they slip it into the boot. 
it kind of restricts it and mm -hmm. some of them don't like that because their boots are really tight everybody wants a tight fit boot now yeah uh, i don't know why but never like that when i played just uh, wide foot just get in get them on tie them tight with the lace but yeah what you can actually hear the feel hear some of the feet going in oh, it just slips in you know it's just it's that tight but all right they've cut the sock well we'll go through your obviously your career in football but what's been the most most unusual thing a player's requested from you as kitman over the years has there been anything just absolutely bonkers uh, uh, no nah, not really i've kind of laid out my stall before <laughs> they know they know no he asked me for daft things you know what i mean I kind of growl just to keep myself. I've always found since I started doing the job, whereas when Joe was there, Joe was the most accommodating man in the world, mm -hmm. doing anything for him. I kind of turned the other way. I was like the bad cop. He was a good cop. So they didn't actually ask me for daft things because they kind of would just blow up and say, it was even when they started doing the cutoffs. I said, you realise you've got cutoffs, so you hate to wear them all season then. And then they, they did agree to it, but now it's just went full circle nobody's really asked me for anything daft no 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 cool we'll, we'll cover Joe Nelson through, through this podcast no. but going right back to the start well tell us a little bit about your own football career as a youngster and your kind of background in football back way back then oh well I was played school football and then I met a lot of these people like Jim Leishman and all these boys at school and, and even Dick Campbell and all these boys that I can remember them at school in school football and then I went to play for the Railway Club, which was a good successful boys club here at that time. And then I've kept in touch with numerous folk, my, my pal Gunter as well, who's passed on now. He was a big part of my life at that time. And uh, David Drummond, Bobby Drummond, uh, we, we played against the Leishmans and all these boys and that as well when they were all younger boys. Eh? They, mm -hmm. they were a year younger than us. And Andy Young started the youth team here and then because we were a successful team, we played them every Sunday for about a month, six weeks, and he would bring trialists in all the time. That's when John Ferguson, Leishman, all these kind of guys started to play for Dunfermline youth team. And he was the first man to sort of do that. Then I went on to play at Locale Albert Junior Football. I went for a few trials with Preston North End, Wraith Rovers. I was here for a while, trained here when I was 15. Yeah, uh, used to go to the gym. We were just talking about that the other day with the Wattie Logie, and it was all about Jordy McGawkey and uh, Bucky Morn, we called them, and that. And it was just characters in the game, eh? Jim O'Neill. You'd go to the gym, the gym was where the shop is now, mm -hmm. and the pillars in it, and they'd bounce you off the pillars and say, You know, you be quicker, son. And that's how you sort of learnt your growing up, boys yeah. 15 year old against men. And Dad Baden was about to took the reserves at that time. and a training session was a running session. He was running the track kind of stuff. You know, we really got a lot of the ball. Mm -hmm. And then we went to, used to run at Humbug, train at Humbug and then run back. Wow. So from here? From here, aye. aye. That was part of your sort Crazy. of... Uh, probably you probably half, eh? half an hour with the ball and you're an hour and a half travelling this way, you know. Yeah, that was... Their education, it was great for me. And then I went to play for Cowdenbeath Royals. He went as I say, went to Raith Rovers for a trial, uh, and it was Scott Simon actually picked me up. I got a phone call out of the blue. I really didn't, I couldn't remember who Scott Simon was. And it was of course the, the, Rangers, the Rangers, Rangers manager. Yeah. And I says, I've not got a car or something. He says, right, no worries, son. I'll pick. And he picked me up at the door at the house. Came to the house for me. And then we had a game against an reserve team, and uh, I was kind of out my depth, so uh, didn't go any further than that. But 
I went to Press North End and I was supposed to go with my boy and he actually broke his leg the day but he, I was playing with the 16s at Railway Club, he was playing with the, the, the 18s, Colin Bruff, the, the boy Bruff, it was here as his son. He was a was son, Grant. Grant, aye, uh-huh. his, his, his father. Yeah. And uh, he broke his leg the day we were going so I ended up going to Press myself and I was there for two weeks and then just because I was trying to catch up you ended up with hematomas, they called them up in your thighs here and they just you couldn't hardly walk, it was just... Mm-hmm. I always remember playing, my first game there was against Man United and they had a place called The Farm, like a training ground and uh, this boy's gave me a torrid, he's just... every time he got the ball, he's just, he just passed me so the, the old boy walking his dog and he says to me, just remember son, you can't run with a sore leg so, that kind of stuck me be through my football <laughs> career, you know, when anybody was playing against me, I was trying to get in first, but uh, it was good. And who was it in the Man United team? Any, any names that ended up making it to the first team? Oh, it was that far gone ago, if that's way back now, Mickey, no, uh, no, no. But at Preston at that time, there was 28, 30, 30 full-time professionals, and 26 of them were Scottish. The boy uh, Archie Gemmell was actually at Preston at that time, as right. a young boy, so... Uh, we stayed right in digs right across for the, the park and then they had a training park beside the ground but it was that way all used, it was just then turned into a mud bath because mm-hmm. didn't matter what the weather was, that's where they trained but they would go to the farm now and again which was maybe three miles outside the town that's where they played all their kind of reserve yeah, games yeah. and stuff You ain't changed days eh? Aye, oh, oh completely now, I see some of the pitches now It's bowling greens now eh? I'm not an AstroTurf fan either, I just think like last year if it must come back and haunt some of these young boys that, that, that play and train all the time on AstroTurf. They talk about brain injuries. It'll be interesting to see how... Yeah, for tape, joints and... Aye, backs and knees, everything. Yeah. Aye, that'll be a big one for me, just to keep an eye on how that all works. Right? Mm-hmm. And then go, going back to when you were a kid, what's your memories of, of Dunfermline Athletic when, when you were growing up? Oh, when I was like 13 and the European football was going wild here then, eh? at that time, believe it or not, Inverkees and Small Town, we used to run two buses, or a boy, two buses every every like, European night, you pay a two quid or whatever, get on the bus and then they would drop you off and I went myself, it was one of these things, you always mm. somebody in the bus looked after you, Yeah. and the buses parked along Holbeath Road at that time, they never went and parked in buses, things. they just... You got the number of the bus, and then you knew where the bus was going to stop, and that's where it got off. And you got you just looked for the buys, and he always waited for you. And uh, that's how life was then. You just come on, sir, and you get and you get your seat and back down the road. But some of the European nights was brilliant here. Just to remember the place being jammed and the smells. That's what got me more than anything. You can smell the liniment everywhere. It just, it just seemed to come out. I don't know where it came from. Mm-hmm. What games do you remember back then, and players? Oh, well, Bertie, of course, and boys, boys like that, Barry Mitchell, Alec Edwards. I always used to watch them, and what between with the young, the young teams, my mates and that, and you'd always see them going at the Regal for their lunch, and they're mm. always smartly dressed and stuff like that, and you think to yourself, I don't know, Annie, actually, we stayed in uh, Cross Ford, and she had Ben Martin staying as her... Uh, sort of when he came across it first before like he got his uh, she sort of looked after him and fed him and stuff like that I never actually met him I didn't every time I went to her she was, he was never there but uh, 
But these guys like superstars back then, obviously playing European football and winning Scottish Cups. And I didn't think so. They were just kind of doing the earth. They're just like uh, normal people. When I mean, you, when you get to, know. to like you guys seeing them in the Rigo and stuff. They stood out. Ah, you always well because they were always smartly dressed, and you're saying to yourself, you know, they are. They were never aloof. I mean, you could, I noticed people walking up and talking. I never went and approached them, but because Alec was just a wee bit older than me. Mm-hmm. And I thought of that he's, he was he was a magnificent athlete, and he, the way he walked and everything he was on his toes, and he, he was always immaculate. Yeah. And I thought, you know, you'd like to be in that kind of range because you always had a dream of being a football player, and we'd be going to the snooker club, they'd be coming down, you know. What I mean? <laughs> <laughs> the snooker Brilliant. club is underneath the the the. the, the Is that the locos uh, club? Uh, that was just where everybody met and that. When we were, we were young boys, we, before we went to a game, we'd go and meet there, have a game of snooker, and maybe go and watch the football, the, the 12 o'clock show the, on the ball that's been replaced now. But they, mm. they always had that wee show, and so we'd go there before we'd go to the games. It was, it was, it was great. Good times. And fast forward uh, a few years later, 93, you get the opportunity to, to come and help the football club. How did that all come about, and what, what was your role at that point? Well, what happened there was Bert and Dick had been at the Scythe and I'd been gaining my hand with the younger team down there, like Gordon Forrest, now playing at Hart, the assistant boy at Hart. Yeah. He was playing, his dad was a wee scout at Race Rovers, Bobby uh, Forrest. Yeah. Uh, and his brother was a, the secretary, I think. Was it Alan? I'm not sure, sure his name Alan, anyway. He was all involved with the Scythe. So I kind of knew them, and then uh, when they went there, and then I was taking the, we went to the semi-final of the Scottish Cup or something, like with the, the, the under-18s. Then when Bert and Dick got the chance to come here, I'm quite close with Dick, and then he says, come on, we're going to start some here, a, a new revolution, hopefully at Dunfermline, he's going to be part of it. So I came in, and then within a space of months, they, they brought in a guy called Dave McParlin. Because at that time, when they first came in, there were only two guys here, two youth players, Mm-hmm. Bert's, Bert's ambition was to start a youth development so he kind of kicked it all off again but it was a boy called Derek Clark and Stephen Ferguson who's now the CEO up at Ross County Yeah, they were only two guys that were here young team or classed as apprentices anyway yeah. you know uh, so when Davey came in got a bigger role he was probably one of the most entrepreneur boys I've seen in youth football Davey knew where they go and get money from the council, i.e. we started coaching classes, bringing boys in, and we wouldn't take the, we wouldn't get the money, but what we would get is a use of facility. Yeah. So David then had a place to take the, when he started to build up a squad, so he would, like, take kids at Dalgate Bay, and they would, the council would charge whatever it was for the money, and then they would keep that. And then David would say, right, I need a slot for under 12s or... Because we only started a 12 or 14s and 16s team, like this, the first kind of year or so. So there was a place to go then. Then he got a sports match. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's yeah. a money thing. So if somebody gives you money, we did him again, C.R. Smith, he goes there, talks to the guys, he gets a minibus. Yeah, I remember the minibus kicking about. Aye. So the minibus is worth 34000 So that's the cash you can go then to the council... And they sports match it. So that was 64,000, 68,000 in, in a kitty. The, the money didn't belong to the football club, it belonged to the council. But if you needed 40 boys, training kit, Aye, go a trip, as long as you could justify to the guy that you were going to spend it on the use, 
Yeah. And then they started all these other things. And it was tremendous just to watch the way he did it. And he went to Carnegie Trust, again, charity stuff, away for the club. And it was brilliant the way... Built it up, eh? Oh, just... Amazing. Aye. So then, of course, we started getting our own kit, so we needed something to do that. So I asked her to step in there. Then I started doing the 16s, me and Bobby Drummond started doing that. There was Chris Carnlish, David Hunter, Gordon Arthur, a guy called Jim Matthew. We were all doing things... We weren't getting paid. No. We just wanted to be trying to make the place better, improve it all, and another boy, McDermott. There was probably 20 people just helping mm-hmm. and no getting paid, but just to try and make things better. And Davey was driving it all through the time until he went to Motherwell. Back to, he was at Motherwell yeah. with Billy Davis before, and yeah. then we got John Ritchie. Mm-hmm. And then what happened then was they gave it a massive boost when, they, when he came in, they got a real budget, and he was managed to get kit, which was kit for everybody. So we started all the teams. So really needed somebody to liaison and do all the kit. So I started doing all that with John, and that's kind of how I got in. I was always helping Joe anyway, back and yeah. forward. Yeah. And reserve games. Talking about Bert and Dick, obviously, <clears throat> that period of the 90s was really successful with you guys uh, uh, as man- the management team. What, what's your memories of that, that period? And obviously, promotion 95, 96, and Norrie uh, passing, and uh, you're obviously involved at that point. So, what's your memories of that the, time? The, the early days, I wasn't really involved with the first team, but uh, you'd be there to help them, and they, they knew who you are, and they still recognise us today. Yeah. And uh, I would go and help with the reserve games sometimes because. Joe's wife was not getting well. So I'd maybe go and drive the minibus to help with the cat. He'd pack it all, but he would just tell me what to do. So you're always doing what he's under instruction, yeah. So just started doing things like that. But the the bonding of the boys as well, some of them were, it was terrific, you know, just the, the way they conducted themselves and team spirit. Uh, that was a big part in Burton Dick, what they oh, created here, wasn't oh, it? Oh, aye, aye, aye. You see it even now when Evo's here and Mark Miller and the boys when we had the reunion last year, they're still so close, aren't they? Aye, Warded. Brilliant. Boys, aye. They, they had a great mix with the West Coast boys and the, this side. It's quite hard to explain, but it just you felt comfy when they're company. Didn't matter who they were. Mm-hmm. Even uh, Colin Miller, I keep in touch with him on LinkedIn. Uh, his nickname was a coach and he's turned out to be a coach now he's it was uh, Canada and stuff mm-hmm. like that as well and all his other stuff but you can contact any of them even Andy Smith I'll maybe bump into him at somewhere or a venue somewhere and uh, you know they, they always looked glad to see you shake your hand and make you welcome and uh, no, they're, they're a great group of boys the times and that and then the Norrie thing was a, a tragic that one we were, mm-hmm. there was a reserve game that night and of course the place was low and then I went in and couldn't see Bear, couldn't see Dick, David McParland. Then they all went in the car, away about half past five. And I said, well, there's something going on here. So, of course, they came back and then broke the news and everybody was devastated. Yeah. Just, she'd never played that game. West Davis and Bits, it was just horrible. Mm-hmm. Everybody was gutted. Yeah. And then the funeral and all that stuff. And, oh, no, nah, that wasn't the nice times at all. Yeah. But they came through it, they worked hard and they won the league that year and I think there was part of it for the big man as well, you know. Yeah, definitely. Speaking about your, obviously your youth coaching at this point, who were the type of players coming coming through then that when you guys started building these groups of youth players? 
Well, again, David, we're partnering with a wee sort of network of people. I knew from West Coast, Mid Centre, Burn, places like that. And funny enough, about three of them were prison officers. <laughs> <laughs> and these kind of boys, they knew some of them were rascals, <laughs> but they got the right kind of people and we had good squads. When we first did the youth development, we went in the Fife League because we didn't have enough better players to go into the Pro League. The likes of Chris McGrory, the Templeman, Stephen Boyle, they were all playing that league. We, we did it for a year. We did well, we won the league, blah, blah, blah. Had a wee cup run. And then after that, we went into the Pro League. So they were the sort of mainstay, they three, and then they were full time apprentices at the time. And the, the Fife League were kind of against us because we were so many professional or full-time boys playing mm -hmm. but we didn't have anywhere else to go and they did accommodate us which was good at the time because they gave us a bit of competition otherwise they wouldn't have just been, just been playing friendly eh? yeah Colin Nish part of that group as well Colin no he came later oh, he was probably right yeah, you're right Nish was, a, Nish, was, Nish was part of the first team by that time I think he was a wee bit I always remember going to watch Colin Nish David sent me away to games on a Saturday and we never look and see what you think, so he's come back and I'd be frustrated to death. I said, Davey, I can't do this. I didn't see anybody. And then he'd just sit me down and say, hey man, you're maybe doing it right. They're no all, they're no all good players. And then the next week I went and then Colin Nish was playing and Sean Murdoch had been playing against them. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm saying to myself, so Big Sean came in to train with, with GR, he got him in. Uh, we ended up signing and everything was good for for and then Colin again. So we brought Colin to a, he was only 14, but we played him in a competition at Petrivi, I mean, he used to get Rangers and Celtic and all that, yeah. didn't they? So he actually played in an under-16 competition, scored four goals, and David just signed him after the and that was it done. But he was known in the circuit, I didn't know him, but he'd been with Hearts and Hibs. And, aye, and he was highly rated, he was just like a beanpole, but scored goals for fun. Mm -hmm. Just and he just seemed to bounce, just one of the natural kind of athlete boys, eh? Who was the best youth player you worked with? So one that stood out, that maybe even didn't make it? Um, I've got a name in my head here. I, th I think Templeman, there's two or three, McGrory. I was a bit disappointed with Steve, when Boyley didn't go any further because I thought he had all the ability in the world. And even McGrory, they, they had everything. He got broken to the first team here. And then after that, somebody filled his seat for you nonsense he was going to go to Celtic. And that was his downfall. Mm -hmm. He just seemed to fade away. He's never heard nothing about him. I think he's a manager now. He's an amateur team, I believe, in Glasgow. McHattie was another one. I did my youth licence and he was part of the group when they were doing it. Loro Park came over and McHattie was part of the group. And I didn't realise how good he was until he's got left foot, right foot and then volleys and then he's, he's doing all these wee tracks and I'm saying to myself, but anyway, you can play son. And then we ended up selling about Hearts. Yeah. It was Hearts first team, wasn't it? For a little bit. I couldn't believe we sold them. So he, he, he had ability. Uh, I don't know what happened at Hearts, but then he's, I think he's, he's still playing, isn't he? Mm -hmm. He's at breaking, I think. That's where he is. I spoke to, I spoke to Andy Cutlass the other time. Aye, aye. Aye, he's aye. doing all right there. So by about 2000, you, you kind of leave that 
coaching role, is that right? And then you you do become kit man uh, replacing Joe. So a little bit about Joe. What was Joe Nelson like? Uh, Joe was just different class. I actually bumped into Joe when I was man when I played for Cymru. Joe was my manager. And a wee story about his wife, Barbara. Barbara was the first woman referee in Fife. Right. And of course she would be, when we were doing, when I was playing under 16, under 18, she was that level of football, that's what she was doing. And of course she, she Barbara coming in, oh no, no, hardly do. <laughs> uh, she's like the Willie Collum at that time. She's just everybody hated her. Uh, very strict, never took any crap of anybody. She just, so that was my sort of first meetings and then, John actually played the son. He played for the comedy the same time as me, and Joe was the manager. And Barbara Arn, she's come along. She was just a wee snotty nose wee bear now at time, a bit for the games and everything. She hates me saying that. I'll just say that. They bit the size of the pitch. Well, the whole family came, eh? Uh, and then I went on to play with Kelly. Then I came back here eventually with the, getting involved, and then of course. Joe was brought back with Leash. Uh, it's just the right type of man to be in the place, you know. He just looked after everybody again seven days a week. Nothing was a problem to him. And then I had to try and tell him at the end up that, look, I'll do the wee jobs that you're coming back to do yourself. Because he would leave his wife, he's looking after her, but he'd come back to the park after doing things and then. Mm-hmm. I says, look, you stay and I'll, I'll finish up for you. And, all right. and, and, and of course, we had Willie Rowland at that time as well, doing the, the kit. It was a good a good team spirit there as well. Always a wee bit cracking in the, in the laundry in the kitchen, we called it, and get the toast to it. The club meant so team. much to these guys, yeah, it was yeah. their life. Aye, life oh, aye, it was their life, aye. Because when Ginjo did eventually have to leave because Barbara, eh, Barbara wasn't keeping well, and then they ended up made the decision to put her in the, the home. So he was going there quite a lot. And then he came back to me and just says, look, do you mind if I come back and help you? I said, oh, Joe, just, just, just come with you for, for fancy, you know what I mean? Uh, so when we moved to Petrivi, we'd come down and stuff like that. And just obviously knew what to do. He could just go and leave him. He he did what a kit man does, tidies up and always counting things and pl- putting things away and that. So he was just a great hand. And he'd oh. come here on a Saturday. He was coming on March Day. Yeah. He was involved here until, what, 2008 or so? Aye. Oh, aye, aye, aye. And George just turned up, you know what I mean? He was just one of the kind of guys. Uh, never any trouble. No, the players loved him as no. well, eh? Aye. Oh, back a few of the guys I've spoken to still go on about how good he was. and aye, He used to do the massages yeah. and all that as well. Aye, he was a soapy old man. I used to get <laughs> in the shower there and get the soap going and... Because he was an ex miner and that, and he knew all the and the, he was actually like a physio at times. Because mm-hmm. he was, he, he just knew everything about football and stuff, and he, he was just a natural guy being that kind of job, you know. Yeah, brilliant. And by by about two thousand, the club starts to evolve. The two Jimmies uh, are here. What what was that kind of period like for for you? Well, that was a learning curve because Jimmy sort of took the the kit thing by the horns as well. We were always going by budgets, but Jimmy just. He ordered three sets of kit for every player, and it was different colours. And if you didn't wear the right colour, you got fined. And there was a discipline change right away. But with Jimmy, Jimmy Nickel was in after Dick got relieved. Mm-hmm. Uh, so things were kind of normal for a wee while. And then when Jimmy Calder got appointed, I wasn't really involved with the first team for a, for a wee while because Joe was still doing it. 
and I didn't want to step on his toes or anything, so I just used to go and help him because he was getting a wee bit. And at that time, it was the first day I was going in the minibuses to the games. We always used to go in the bus. Mm-hmm. But then they wanted to stuff there early, so I would drive the minibus and take the, the kit and help him. And sometimes Bobby and I would go just to make it easier for him, especially away games. Not so bad when you're at home. But uh, there was a sort of revolution goes on with Jimmy because obviously the budgets goes up and the, the expectation level went up. Yeah. It was interesting times then because he brought Sandy Clark in as well. Mm-hmm. And then Jimmy Nicol was always about the place. He always gave the place a spark and that as well. Even things when maybe things weren't going right, he always... Yeah. Wee competitions going and stuff like that, you know. It seemed to be a good team spirit and togetherness around about that time as well, wasn't aye, it? Aye, aye. Oh, I just go back to that time and he started bringing all these uh, Root and Beacon boys like that and they're all good characters as well, of course. Scarlet, good players. Mm-hmm. The oddball was Bobby maybe... Rossi. Rossi, oh, he was a bit of an oddball. I think he, his culture... Probably we didn't do our, or the club didn't do their homework with him, but they saw him as a good player, which is always, you know, international and stuff, but an absolute hothead at times, and then just some of the things he did in here was kind of crazy, but it was his culture, I think, and he, he didn't like women round about him too much either. He always had that thing about women walking behind you and all that, and we probably should have done our homework as well, a mm-hmm. wee bit about him, eh? but. No, I mean, I've got great things about uh, Jack De Geer, Todd Day, Ian Ferguson, even when they first came in. He was a big man for discipline as well. I always remember going to Motherwell in the bus. And he says, where are you going? I said, I'm going to get the kit off the bus. No, no, wee man, hold there. Young team. So everybody wanted to, got all the team to start taking all the kit in. I said, but that's my job. He says, no, no, he says, you just get in there and sort it out. I'll get them to bring it in. And, and no, they're just a wee bit, Respect, if you want, for yeah. me, and uh, I thought I'll never forget that, you know. Aye. So it all kind of went on for there, and there was any, never any nonsense with him either. He just had that dressing room ticking over the way he wanted it and kept things. So he was a big miss when he went, and then you had the other character, Ray Nipper, and. Then the Irish boys come in. Any uh, stories about, about Dempsey's Hunts and Richie Burns? Oh, they were all crazy anyway, weren't they? But. Uh, because they were all young boys at that time, weren't they? Hunties now, when caretaker manager Red in there as well, Richie's doing, I think he's doing his personal training stuff yeah. now, eh? but we still keep in touch with them. We're on the, we've got a chat still going with all these boys, and if it's anybody's birthday, we get the wee crack going, and Nipper, he keeps it all turning over, eh? he's always got something to say about something. <laughs> talking about Nipper, any stories about Nipper? Oh, caused a bit of chaos, just, didn't it? Just a bit of, oh, just a prankster, man, honestly. We come back one day, well, at that time we didn't get fed like we get fed now, so they were putting money in, and I'd go to the cash and carry and get uh, muffins, like chocolate biscuits and stuff like that, just to give them something to come back. Look at Zed. Had it locked in the cupboard, and of course the next thing, he's first in the door, right, give me the key, give me the key. I said, what are you doing? He says, and then Scott Walker's locker, we had lockers at that time, and he gets all the muffins and puts all the juice and everything. So there's nothing left in the cupboard. So the boys come in and look, hey, where's all the stuff, Mo? What have you done? What have you done with the stuff? I says, oh, it was there a minute ago. And then he came, where it is? And the next thing, Scotty Walker would come and open his locker and it would all fall out. And they'd go, ah, you try to steal all the muffins, you eh? blah, blah, blah. And it's just that it just took off for there. Eh? 
Brilliant. A big Scotty is that serious as well, a big, like, <laughs> a big honest boy. It wasn't me, it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> Any other dressing room stories over the years that you can that you can share? Nah. So obviously, you're, you're in a privileged position, you get to hear team talks and be in the dressing room with the boys and... Team talks, every manager's got their own way of talking to players or addressing them and uh, you can go back to Bert and Dick, Dick would be the man with the, the technical and he was always like, he'd always tell players what they were good at and then at half time or something, it gave him a licence then to say if somebody had done something different, what are you trying to do? I'll tell you where to get it, why are you doing that? And then Bert was the thinker, mm-hmm. he was always in the background and what a memory he had for a game. He would always remember for the first minute to the last minute what went on, whose incidents, this and that, and then get in, get in the hamdak, get in the hamdak, and then, and then the referee, tell that, tell hamdak, you know, you'd hear him all the times, and he, he was just one of the kind of boys that knew everything about the game, he's, he's, he never forgot a thing, and I used to say to myself, I can't even mind that happening in the game, and he's he's bringing it up, even after the game, we might go into a cup of tea in his office, and he would go through the game again, especially if something didn't go right. And uh, it was so particular, just about things that happened. It was great. And you got other managers with Darlin Johnson. He, he was an overhead man. He did the big screen. And he had one of these things where you could move the men about. Most of them, you needed the two guys. You need the... The good cop, saying, bad cop type thing. I'm not saying that they're, they're always that way, but you always get one that will say something then. Like the new James and... Uh, Davy, that James will be general, whereas Davy will go in and be more technical and stuff like that. Jim Jeffries was the same, and he'd like Neil McCann in that day, the, the actual talking, but Jeffries was the one that sort of structured it all. And the, the, the sort of the weirdest one was Stephen Kenny. I'll never forget the first time we played at Dundee United, the day he got appointed or after it. And Dundee United just extended the dressing room a wee bit, so I've got all the hampers in the middle. Went out to the pitch to see some, they came back in, and he's shoved all the hampers away in a corner. And I'm saying, what would you do that? The next thing, he takes the jacket off and rolls the sleeves up, and he's doing diagonals, like 30 yards, this thing. Diagonal walks across the flare, and he's talking to players and telling them what this, and we could do this, and that. And I'm saying, myself. They did anywhere, stood still. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a different way. I've never ever seen that kind of action before with, with a manager, eh? But uh, who's the other managers? You've worked for a few, haven't you? Yeah, uh, I'm up to 14 now. Oh, but it stays that way. David Hay, it was Billy Kirkwood who really did all the talking. And Paul Hegarty, they would mm-hmm. come in and be. David, he was a quieter kind of manager, but he, again, I think they, they, dis, they discuss all that before they come in, before a team top. And Big Leach took over for a wee while, he was the same, he was like a Mr. Motivator ways, half time talks. And, and he had Hamish and Craig Robertson beside him. Craig Robertson and Frenchy, aye. I used to help with the 20s at that time because they would, because they lost their coach, I would do that, and then if anybody was injured, and he would come across wee but she was injured and stuff like that. So I was doing kind of stuff and he would watch how he was crossing and finishing, trying to design it so that they, they would get to show a wee bit. So that was at Petrie we were then that day. Mm-hmm. Jim McIntyre and me, KB was another pair. They were good to... Jim, I think Jim could have done really well here if they'd given him a wee bit of money to get a striker in. 
just circumstances again, I think. That was just what he was short. He was just somebody to score goals. But him and KB were brilliant. And uh, Jim Jeffries came in and he kept KB on. And Neil McCann came in and then Port City getting a bit more. Yeah. Uh, again, they were they were good. Alan Johnson, I said he was doing the overhead. He brought Sandy. And then it was Crawley. Craw. No, Peter, no, it was Peter. Peter Grant and then obviously Peter. James, yeah. Aye. Who's, who's been the best management team? Junior. I, th- I think they've all had good things. I mean, obviously I'm a bird and dick man. I just like the way they operate and uh, I'm mere that type of age and stuff like that. But I like James. I think he's uh, got his... He's got his own ideas. Nobody messes him about. Nobody's trapped his door yet to see, you know, it's always there if you want it. But I think he's set his stall out that he's got a discipline about him. And uh, I haven't seen anybody trap his door anyway, no, this year. So Let's keep it that way. Uh, I will. Yogi, I think the, if he'd maybe got his own man in as well, could have done things about somebody just to keep. Or it was a difficult period though last year, eh? It was... Again, look at what the job James has done this year and stabilising it and rebuilding it. It's been incredible, eh? And a lot of these players are still here. I Mm -hmm. mean, uh, everybody was kind of worried when they started the season. We've had 10 or I think it was maybe 12 players that were still from the last squad. Last year, with that to run into the relegation and the playoffs, I think some of the lone players didn't really push on like they should have done. We, we maybe got them too late because they weren't match fit. They weren't playing for their own teams, as in Lawless and people like that. So they weren't playing. So we had to give them three, four weeks. Yeah. And we didn't hear that time to let them get fit and get them catch up. Polworth, uh, boys like that. Mm-hmm. When you see them playing now in Lawless and stuff, you're thinking, where were they? They weren't playing like that for us. You know what I mean? Goal scoring, opportunities. And it was frustrating to watch. It's difficult, eh? Going back to the, the dressing room and team talk, what's been the best team talk? Is there anything that sprung to mind over the years that even you're motivated coming out of that dressing room? Ah, there's the, as, I, as I keep repeating, though, there, there's always managers have all got their own different... I think that the motivation comes within sometimes. If you can just get the player mentally right and saying, right, come on, We've got a lot to play for here. This, I mean, last season was easier because you're winning. It's definitely easier when you're winning. It's, it's harder when you're getting beat and you're trying to lift people like the previous year. We go there, like to the Morton game. I never saw that result coming, even out of the blue. You know what I mean? I just like people that get fired up, managers that get fired up. And they didn't really get fired up until something goes wrong because that's when mm-hmm. they, they flip their lid a wee bit and stuff like that. But that's on the sort of back foot now because you know you can't shout and ball at boys like that nowadays whereas no nah, I've not really got any big none that springs to mind no 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 really no what what for you has been the, the high points and what's been the low points during your 30 years involved here well the cup finals have always been good day and uh, one of the biggest compliments we probably had was we went to the cup final and uh, one of the stewards at Hamden who they go to all the games and see all the big games and he came up with it was uh, I think it was Jim Martin was it no it was Leishman and that Leishman Leishman Cup final we're all dressed Cup final 
and uh, with black suits on, we were really smart, everybody had a wee flower on and uh, and the boy, and then we went out for the game and we were like, the boy came up and actually commended us, he says, you're one of the smartest teams I've ever seen at a final and I thought, well, you know, that gives you a wee boost as well because, uh, of course it was Celtic got beat, but... <laughs> It was a tough cut final, that one. Aye, that was horrible, horrible. But, uh, but during that period, there was, what, three cup finals in four yeah, years or three yeah, years? Yeah, I would, would, would good runs, aye. There was, mm. there was kind of hot and cold with the league sometimes. And the Jimmy's one with Jimmy Collard would win me. That's probably the one, eh? <laughs> had such a good I chance. Think I should have, we should have got a penalty as well. We should have been... Three at half time, I think, shouldn't we? So looking back in that game, I think Dempsey was close with a free kick as well. Yeah, and the wee Mason was working like a horse, and he just up and down like a, a Trojan man, honestly. But uh, when you go to these places, you see some of these results on the television. When you look back, you think, is there a curse on you when you play Rangers and Celtic? Because we've been to Ibrox and that as well, we've been to Parkhead. The, the the one with Nisbet scores we should actually beat Celtic that day mm-hmm. the same at Ibrox we went a couple of times we should have beat them but there's always something turns up a penalty or a foul and so get a free kick edge of the box you think so here we go it's the, the curse is on you again you know but I think that day with the Nisbet one I thought we were actually outstanding for the minute we started to to finish yeah and the fans appreciated it we all went across at the end it was uh, just one of the things. Mm. What about low points? What's been the, oh, the difficult ones? That was the worst last time, that last, that relegation there. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't believe that Queen's Park at home, and you've got, like I Matty Todd, one mistake he's made and it costs you a goal. Last minute of the game, you're thinking, oh my God, and then I just... Things like that because you've you've done your working week. You're you're expecting the day better. You're you're working hard. You, the organisation kind of thing doesn't doesn't matter with the result for me. I've got the same job to do every day, and yeah. I'm trying to get myself done and keep the thing, and keep the place positive as well. You always try and kick a wee spin with that and crack a joke or get the music going. You know, just uh, break the ice. And even in the the low times, you get beat. You've got to try and date the next morning, get them back in again. And, Never let them come in with their head doing. You always give them a good morning. Get yourself out. Get the head up. You know you've got to try and it doesn't go away. You've just got yeah. to try and change it. Yeah. So that was the hardest point you'd say. Oh, that was that was so administration. You've been through that as well. That must have been. That was another one. Tough. I, I was the administrator. So I've ended up doing the cooking, the laundry, the kit, and then at that time the. So organising for the buses, the food for the pre-match, and sometimes we were getting an overnight if we were away up north or stuff. So I ended up dealing with that as well because there was no really anybody up the stairs that could take over. And the only reason I really started doing it was because to make sure it was done. Because if you didn't have the organisation right, that's that's when it all goes tits up and you get things are just. You need a pathway, and it's mm-hmm. got to be smooth, even for the manager. And you're not wanting him to be involved with you know the kind of that's not his bro. He just needs to get the team in the part and make sure they do their bit. My bit is to make sure it's right at this side and make sure when we go, it's all done. 
But uh, I had a conversation with the administrator. He says, I'll need, you'll need to take a wage cut. I says, I'm, I'm not taking a wage cut. I'm just not doing it. I says, I'm doing all these jobs. And he says, OK, leave it with me. And uh, he came back t- two days later and he says to me, I says, you're right, I can't sack you. He says, I was sacked, you need to get three people in. So, with the, for then on, I kind of got on a right with that boy as well, you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> so, and you kept doing all those jobs, didn't you? Aye, I kept for doing them. Aye, aye, but again, it was, it was just free money and then those things changed a wee bit and managed to get Ian in and... I was doing the food up until two years, last year, and I mm-hmm. got Marie and to do the food. Then uh, Sammy started helping. So things are getting better. Yeah. Tough period, but then... Aye, aye. Now we've got money, he does all the bus and the hotels and stuff like that. So Brilliant. I use him like a liaison officer, and he's... My man, I go here, and he puts it on paper, whereas I'm not a computer guy. Aye. He makes sure it's a all good guy, a, money. a paper trail. So there's, when we're ordering anything or things, you know, you've got dates and accurates and, uh, like this, this year has been a godsend with the, the kit because there's quite a few things missing, so he's on top of it and Brilliant. keeps it to Martin David just to see what, where we are with. Obviously it's coming for Italy. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of that stuff's coming for Romania. Right. So if customs have been a nightmare as well, it's getting held up there, but it's not necessarily because of anything in the, car, in the container, it's just there's not enough people there to bit process of it. Stuff and, yeah. Aye, so that last container that left was say three weeks and it sat 14 days in Dover I think before it got to us and, they, and that's what he tells uh, whiplashes later on and then of course I'm starting waiting on it to get ready. You've got the backlog then. Aye, I've got to try and get it ready for us coming back which is another nightmare. So going back to the dressing room stuff more, has there been, obviously footballers are known for having superstitions and rituals and has there been any mad ones over the years that, that you can remember? No, you get quite a few that ones to be the last man out. Apart from that, there's no really... No been anything really wacky or... No. You think, what is he doing? No, no. no. We've not had any sort of religious boys or stuff like that, but I've seen it, like, like I was at a Hibs training ground one day, and a bounce game and they've got a, quite a few boys that want to go and pray and stuff so that, that's finding a room for them and they used to come to the kit room and Peter would put them in the back where there was nobody like a storage room and they could go and pray things like that no we didn't have anything like that I've never even Rossi was no no I've not come across anything like that no what about unusual requests regarding their kit we've kind of covered it at the start about cutting the socks and they all want kit as tight as it can be, but what they forget is it's going to get washed 30 times, so it doesn't fit them halfway through. McCann's the worst. He just wants things that are like glued to him. Mm-hmm. But I says, but Lewis, that'll not fit you in three or four weeks' time because it'll be washed. And then, true and behold, he comes back to me, he gets a top, and it's like for a four-year-old now because it's just been washed and dried. We didn't dry stuff outside. It's all tumble dry. Aye, which obviously shrink stuff. Shrink stuff again, so... Yeah, that's only just they're wanting it tight. They think, they think even when they're playing now, they, they didn't want their shirts too baggy in case somebody grabs them and stuff like that. But uh, so we changed days from your time in the nineties <coughs> when all the shirts were really baggy, weren't they? They were all XL, eh? Jeez, honestly, everybody, even the likes of Boyle and McGrotty, they're all playing with XL strips and the sleeves the way doing and 
Oh, you see some of the photos. That's, I watched the like the old stuff with Liverpool and stuff like that. The Reebok kit they wore. The mm-hmm. Michael Owen. He's got a Fowler. They're wearing things that are like gliders on them, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, everybody's wants it. We didn't get the match fit tight ones out, mm-hmm. but we do get a, a sort of trimmers make. But I don't think they want it tight because if it if it shrinks, you've not got anywhere else to go. Aye. Yeah. What's been your most memorable moment? If you could pick one moment over the 30 years or so. You've obviously been involved in a lot of promotions, so there's quite a few to pick from cup finals, you I said. Think, I think the day at uh, Morton that day when McIntyre, there was what a turnout we had the boys turned out that day. There was, oh, we must have had four or 5,000 that game. Aye, it was, it was scorching hot, wasn't uh, it? Aye, it was beautiful. and You didn't really reflect on the things until after it, because uh, you're just taking it as part of the day. And, Cause you're thinking about getting all the stuff home, but uh, that was a good one. Even here was a, a great day with the the boys going across to the fans on the last day here. The earlier ones with Dick and that, as I say, I wasn't really involved with the first team then as well, so uh, I was like a spectator sometimes because I didn't, didn't go into the dressing rooms and things like that because there was no place for me. So I was involved with the youth and we would be doing something different or some no. We were at the games, but weren't they? Didn't in the dressing area. So, what's been the biggest challenge over your your time as kit man? Oh, I think this the administration thing was the biggest one. Where you were, I'm not saying the boy came in and cut the budget to nothing, but mm-hmm. uh, you had to justify everything that you got. Yeah, that was before the former players started and uh, we'd got this uh, wee association going where I could come to you boys and they would always help me. They never said no yet to anything I've said or asked for. Uh, I would say that's probably the hardest part of the administration then. You mentioned the former players. How big a help has, has the association been for you? Oh, the they've, been, they've been massive because I've gone to them for like just even ankle socks and stuff like that. I can understand it from the club's point of view. That they haven't got excess or loads of money lying about doing nothing. Everybody's got to be paid and the bills, it must cost, I wouldn't know, I'd hate to think what it cost to run a football club for a weekly basis. But So it was a great outlet for me to go and get slaps, ankle socks, towels. You know, I think they've helped with the, 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 the contribution to the van. Heat presses, uh, anything I can sort of get without having to go and ask the club for. The tech ball table, towels even, you know, mm-hmm. before Brian got involved. Uh, anything at all really that I'm sort of struggling with and they've always come up good. They've always helped me with, with some of it. It must be thousands over the years. Yeah, probably. Uh, What's been the most enjoyable part of being a kit man at this football club? I think actually what it does is I'm 72, something come up 72 this year and I think what it does is it keeps me young in, in the mind. I mean, I know folk think I'm an old fart and I know that, but when you're working with young people, it keeps you young and it keeps you on your toes because football players are around for being pranksters and all the rest of it. And I'm always got my one eye on them run by me, you know what I mean? You keep your fouls in front of you and watch your enemies at the back of you. So I'm always one of the kind of guys that... Uh, I had a great story one day. The young boys were here way back when Calderwood and that were here. Dick Sladdy, Yano, Saban, and all they boys. So they've decided they're going to have a go at me one day and put me in the ice bath. 
with a wee ice bath in the home dressing room. So I walked in and of course the lights are out. So the first one comes to me, I feel on my, on my back. So I managed to get him off. The next one comes, I just swung my arm and hooked him right in the chin. And then I swung the other one. And then of course they're all saying, oh, that was Sarah, that was Sarah. I said, you come back, you'll get another one. And of course the light goes on then. So there's, I've got Ian Campbell on my back. <laughs> so I just kept going towards the bath and I ended up throwing him in the bath. And he turns and says, to me, I said, I'm going to tell my mum, I'm going to tell you. And then he worry about it, son, I'll be phoning her the night. Uh, it was just a wee prank thing, yeah, but they were trying to put me in the ice bath. I ended up in the Superb. Who are you close to in football, Mo? Sorry? Who are you close to? Who's oh, your, your gee, big pals? Dick, uh, Dick, I'm still very tight with Bert and Dick. Uh, go to a, a lot of games and was just sit and talk. I'm going on holiday with Dick this next month. Uh, John Young, Ian Campbell. I've got a lot of great pals in football that I've met over the years and then even like say Watty when I played junior football he was at Oakley and how we we always went for a pint after the game didn't matter there was no sort of animosity after the game you'd, you'd probably kick each other to death in the 90 minutes but after that it was pals Freddie Aiken Jimmy Bone John Young Big Rab Douglas mm-hmm. it's just they make you feel so welcome when you go to these places eh, or even bump into them in the street there's Went to Tynecastle on Saturday, watched the Hearts Aberdeen game, just walked in the door and there's Gary Locke. Uh, a lot of time for him, he was great pals with, with Gary Mason and Andrew big, Todd. Big Toddy, aye. Yeah. But never forget you, and it's just to ask you if you need anything, you know, could you do enough for you, you know what I mean? Good people. Aye. Uh, fast forward a little bit, 2019, you got a big shock when you're inducted into the Hall of Fame. What was that moment like for you? Aye, that was. That was actually quite strange. <laughs> I'm there for a uh, nipper. Who was the other one? Stuart Peter. Stuart Peter, I think. Two yeah. Of them, I. yeah. So I'm going to there play the ears thing I'm thinking about. And then, then all of a sudden, this video starts playing and it's uh, the doc and then uh, you and this and then Simon Donnelly. And I said, Christ, that's me they're talking about. The food started talking about food, and then Michael Muffet, a lot of chorizo from away. <laughs> and I'm saying, what's going on here? And I didn't know. I generally did not know because I had the old Sammy like two or three days after it. She's away in holiday. She was near either. I said, you know, so I was talking to secrecy. I couldn't tell you, but they'd been on the phone to my son as well uh, through the. What do you call it? Her work. This girl had just got in touch with him and. They were all the same. I didn't know anything about it. So if the only downside for me was I never got to invite any of my, my pals or, you know, people that I wouldn't have been at the thing. Yeah. Jimmy Bone, for example, boys like that. Uh, but it was a... Oh, it was a culture shock to me. That, I just couldn't... I was thinking, oh, I'm going in the Hall of Fame for you. I mean, I've, it's usually players, isn't it? Thirty years or more. You're in your thirtieth year now, aren't you? Thirtieth year, aye, aye. It's well deserved. Uh, and then, another different kind of question. We're in your kit room now. There's loads of parents from opposition and games. Loads of football stuff here. What's over the years? You've probably collected quite a bit of football stuff. What's your best bit of memorabilia? What means the most to you? Well, like to the Man United tenant, uh, we played them that day. It was Nipper testimonial. And then I was lucky enough when Alec came up, just before he had his brain stuff, 
Yeah, uh, I remember that day, yeah. I got him to sign it. He came down to see Bert and well, Willie Carlick and the boys. That I, I just brought him down here because they were right there in the lounge and it was too busy. I said, just come down here. So they all came down and I went and met the, the Man United boys that night. Alec wasn't there that game because he was moving the house. So they were in the Kivo house. Went out there, met them and told them what was going on. The, the, the team coach actually, they, they flew up from Manchester easy, Jack. There was that's how good they were. And then the bus had arrived here to pick them up, their bus, brought them in here. And then I spent the afternoon with two or three of the coaches just talking football and I got a nice shirt off them and got the pennant. It was just... Brilliant, eh? Aye, they didn't know who I was or anything like that. Another good one was like when we played Arsenal, I think the fans didn't really appreciate the, the stature of that club when they, when they came and the... the the quality of the boys. I mean, I mean, they sent the first team up that night. Mm-hmm. I remember that year. They were they were magnificent, weren't they? Uh, I think it's Nipper tells the story. They're all in the tunnel, and every Arsenal player six foot plus, oh. no matter what position they were in. They were on. They were actually ducking coming out the door. There's just some of them, and then on reading that, they just but their their ability. Can you? They were all there. They were played. They were just. I don't think I took it until after the game either, that how good Arsenal were. Mm-hmm. Uh, there wasn't a big crowd that night either. I thought it could have been a bigger crowd for especially the, the team that they brought, even Man United. I mean, Rooney, Giggs, all these boys all turned up for Nipper that day. Uh, and they also played a testimonial in Ireland that night as well. So yeah. we got a right good first-team squad. I think we did them proud as well, because the chairman at that time, Roy, he gave them all... A nice remembering thing. It was yep. good. Aye. And Nipper's the last person to have a testimonial here. Can you yep. change that in football now? Eh? Players don't tend to stay at clubs. No, it's a two years, eh? two years and years contracts and stuff. Aye, aye. Loyalty seems to be. I, w- I wouldn't say it's, uh, it's doing it to the players sometimes. Though, you know, they're all using these agents now. Uh, I know it makes it easier, but I still think you need that born with the manager and the, the player. I know the representatives now sort of look for their interests and stuff like that, but they never get the agents are getting something out of it, aren't they? Yeah, they're, they're not just doing it for the good of it, they're wanting, they're wanting a few quid as well. Yeah, games change there. Ah, you very rarely know you see boys, well, apart from these guys in England, who's 400, uh, I seen the other day there. You didn't get that now, that boy. How do you reflect back on your, your 30 years being involved at Dunfermline Athletic? Oh, it's been massive for me. Didn't ask my wife though, because she fucking... <laughs> sometimes she just wonders where I go at times. Because you, you can be away for two days, you can be away all day. On the one day, like Inverness or Ross County, you're, you're away at half seven, eight o'clock in the morning, and that's you till nine o'clock at night, Peter Heed. I don't think people realise how much time you actually spend on the road for the, these games. I'm a great adversary, but not personally, but see where likes the team go away. When you play Peterhead, you play Ross County and that, it's very difficult to ask a player to get on a bus at 7 o'clock in the morning, or Josh Edwards, for example, stayed at that time stayed in Kilmarnock. He's then got to get for Kilmarnock to wherever the pickup point is, usually Perth for the boys for like the back of nine o'clock. So he's up at seven o'clock, half past six, to be, then you're sitting on a bus for another three years, 
then you're going to have your lunch and then go and play. It's very difficult for a boy to... There's not many people can do it. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we should stay overnight. A lot of boys don't like it, but the preparation's there and then you've got the... I'm not saying the downtime, but... A bit more relaxed and focused, though, probably. Well, if you're sitting on a bus for three and a half hours and then having something to eat and then you're going to expect to be in 90 minutes, it's, it's difficult. I've, I've done it, but I'm not playing. Mm-hmm. And you're saying to yourself, how do you do it, they boys? You know what I mean? I mean, they're all mega fit now, too. They're not, there's very few of them have got to go through a regime to be fit and then they get passed with the physio and stuff, but then they'll come back here in a couple of weeks' time, they'll be, they'll be hardly anybody overweight. Nobody, they all just do their own thing now and they'll all be doing things they knew. Even on holiday, they'll be working. We've yeah. seen that today, young Andy Todd's in here using the gym. Aye, well, that's, he's, he's using the gym, aye, and just... Uh, I think most of them get a programme to go home with, uh, and that's how, mm-hmm. over the months, they, they, they just keep doing it. But, but they naturally want to be fit anyway. They don't want to come back unfit. Yeah, it's changed again, eh, for your time, probably. When you first started... <clears throat> oh, you get some boys that are too stone, stone overweight, but... Mm-hmm. The first day back, and nowadays that doesn't happen. Nah. No, no, no. Right, so this football club's been a big part of your life, and it'll continue to be. Well, we'll see how long I can go. I still feel fit enough, but sometimes you need to just change it. There's the manager there, come in. How are you doing, James? All right, all right, good. How have you been? Uh, Top notch, as always. No got rid of you yet. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> We'll give you a shout later on, right? Thanks, James, right? See you later. See ya. Uh, he's actually a breath of fresh air at times. He just the way he goes about. And he's no frightened to ask you some of the times. Uh, you know, yeah. Sometimes if things are no... What do you think? I mean, you respect that as well. Yeah. That was that was one of the things, first things Jim McIntyre ever said when he took the job as well. And he says, look, if you think I'm not doing something right, tell me. You've done it, you can, what's happening? And to be fair, they did listen. Yeah. All you can do is recommend things and stuff, and they took it on board, much the same as him at times. So. Brilliant. All ones and upwards, more. Aye, well. You, it's exciting time as a supporter at the moment, I think. Aye, well, I'm looking forward to see who he brings in. Uh, that'll be seen in the next week or so, won't it? So hopefully the club back him with a budget, because we'll all need to. Kick on again because it's a when you look at the teams in it, and I'm watching like say the the playoff games with Air United and and Partick. With me, we played Partick and we actually battered them. I don't know how the penalties beat us, but pardon me, I, I think on the day we were a ten that day. I think we were brilliant against Partick, but just couldn't score the goal to get the winner. But uh, so there's a lot of work to be done there, and then. You always need a sort of backup if somebody gets a bad one. Touch wood, you know what and that, but it does happen. Uh, players lose form. Uh, they're just human beings, aren't they, at the end of the day? They're no machines. But onwards and up, but I'm looking forward to next yeah. season. Confident, eh? We're going it quite confident after the season. Aye, we're no, uh, not too confident. I, don't know, I think you've got to earn that. You've got to work hard and. Uh, 
the way they worked last year, but they came back and they've, I mean, that, that lunchroom there is uh, second to none at times when you go in, the crack's brilliant and they're, they're all taking the mickey and they've got a darts tournament going or something and then the manager's sitting in one corner and he's getting a bit cracked back and forward, you know what I mean? It, it's a good mix. Brilliant. So important that, isn't it? I think that's lacked in a few managers here, they didn't mix with people and at the end of the day, you need to get the best out of the guys and they need to respect you as well in the same sort of breath, so I think if they're on the same page as you, it helps a lot, aye, aye. Brilliant, well, well I'm going to let you get back to sorting kit for next season and right. thanks again for your time, it's been brilliant catching up with you, right. as always. Thank you for listening. Remember to subscribe to this podcast, which is available on all popular platforms such as Apple iTunes, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Thanks to our guest in this episode of Walking Down the Holbeef Road. This podcast was produced by Jan Mokiewicz and music supplied by Stuart Dusty Miller. We look forward to speaking to another former par in the next episode.